God save the Queen, my son. Hello, everyone. My name is Clive Simpson, and... My name is Dennis Kavanagh. And together, we are collectively Queen's Speech, the podcast where a pair of old Jessies talk about (laughs) the impact of gender ideology on same-sex attracted people, lesbians, gays, and when the lights all went out in Massachusetts, bisexuals. (laughs) Now, I've got to ask you a question, Dennis. Have you ever seen the film The Blob? The Blob. I, th- I think I might have watched it as a kid. It's like a, quite a hokey horror movie, isn't it? Well, it's uh, from 1958. It's a um, sort of trashy teen um, horror movie from that period. And uh, yeah. it stars the young Steve McQueen. So uh-huh. there's that. And it's about a sort of... Um, well. It's a meteorite lands in a farmer's backyard, and at the core of this meteorite is a blob of gelatinous alien matter. Yeah. And it uh, it latches itself onto his hand, mm-hmm. and at the teen's uh, uh, behest, a doctor comes to treat him. Uh, when they return to the farm, the two teens, one of them being uh, Steve McQueen, can't remember the name of the other one, um, they find the blob consuming the Doctor as well. And then the blob right. continues to rampage through small-town America, consuming people. And every time it consumes someone, it gets bigger and bigger. I, right. can't, I can't remember how it ends. It's been years since I've seen it, but it's kind of a bit of a classic of the genre. Yeah, like the Triffids or something, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you may have noticed that there has been a blob taking over Twitter this week because it's been highly lively, hasn't it? And uh, we mentioned Mm. this in passing last week. Uh, Pronoun Gate has now uh, engulfed an awful lot of people. It's transmogrified into something else entirely. But we're not going to spend any time talking about it other than to remark on its similarity to... (laughs) <laughs> an extraterrestrial blob of jelly. Okay. <laughs> well, that's social media for you, I guess, but we do have some quite important things, don't we? Apart we from do. everyone getting a- getting angry with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all a distraction from things that are going on that are far more interesting. So today we are going to talk about... Uh, Four Women Scotland, winning a Mm -hmm. rarely heard of appeal. We are going to talk about Lloyd Russell Moyle, MPs, uh, Private Members Bill. This is uh, different from the Lords Private Members Bill. This is a Commons Private Members Bill, so it will be presented in the House of Commons. Um, So we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about... Firstly, before we go there, Simon Fanshaw. Now, you know Simon Yay. Fanshaw, don't you, Dennis? I do know Simon, and I, I've been honoured to do some sort of campaigning, lobbying-type work with Simon. Uh, Simon's one of the founders of Stonewall, 
And my God, it shows um, because you watch him talking to people who make decisions or persuading people. And you might have caught him at LGB Alliance conference, actually, Clive, because I think he did a talk there. Um, I did, and, yeah. Yeah, and he's... I mean, you'll know him from back, from back in the day because he was always on telly and, and stuff, but he's hugely, hugely effective. Very, very witty man whose ability to sort of engage in civil dialogue even with people who absolutely hate us, which is a feature of gay rights sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it certainly feels like one at the moment. Um, is extraordinary. And anyway, yeah, he, he's, big, he's had big news this week, hasn't he? Big news. He has. He has been appointed, unopposed, a rector of Edinburgh University. Hooray! Now, the reason he was unimposed, unopposed rather, is that he, his was the only valid nomination that was put in to the um, executive of Edinburgh uh-huh. University. There was nobody opposing him. Had somebody been opposing him, there would have been, obviously, a hustings, an election, etc., etc. But this hasn't stopped the usual suspects from going absolutely off their trolley about yeah. this because stone uh, while he was one of the founders of stonewall back when it was a lesbian gay and bisexual charity he left stonewall and instead was in was instrumental in founding the lesbian gay and bisexual alliance which they all think is a hate group um mm. they were the, the spin was in on lgb alliance the moment it was announced that it had been formed and they were queuing up to say it was a hate group and they still say repeatedly lgba has been uh, described as a hate group in in <laughs> ireland well i don't know what difference that makes to us here in, <laughs> here in the uk they're not part of the uk it's so just, tenuous they just someone they just, else said, someone else said this about you yes and what <laughs> yeah really i don't care they just happen yeah. to be neighbours of ours. That's it. Um, yeah. So <laughs> they've had a meltdown. We're all absolutely chuffed to little mint balls that he is going to be the rector of Edinburgh University because those who've listened to our podcast for a while or who follow uh, the news on this will be aware that Edinburgh University and some of its staff were part of a part of a protest at the screening of a film called Adult Human Female. And there was a trans activist type who was kind of one of the organisers, I think, who spat at a woman who attended uh, the screening. They they had to Mm. move venues a couple of times because, you know, the bunch of blue hairs were protesting and screaming and shouting at people trying to block their entry to the auditorium and all this sort of stuff oh yeah Um, i remember that yeah Yeah. so edinburgh university uh will be having a rector somebody who's in a senior position in the university who is a fan of free speech who is uh for want of a better word gender critical a member of LGB Alliance, not a member, a supporter of LGB Alliance. LGBA don't have yeah. members. And uh, we'll be representing all the students there. Yeah, um, it's br- brilliant. But it's brilliant. 
you can it's, hope it's, that LGB students might feel a bit uh, more represented. Yeah, by someone who's not insane, <laughs> which is a change. Yeah. And it's it's wonderful news for higher education. I think if this had happened, I don't know, Clive, two, three years ago, I think there would have been a big hoopla and literal genocide and, you know, all the stuff that the other side mm-hmm. say. For, so for Simon to be elected unopposed, I think, is significant. I think it's also significant just coincidentally because it, it's happened at the same time the magnificent Professor Joe Phoenix has taken the Open University to the cleaners. I noticed the AU have released a statement this week, which I thought looked positive because it was like, we're going to learn from this judgment and we're off writing a document about how we're going to behave. But I had an exchange with Professor Phoenix. She didn't feel quite as quite as optimistic as me. So I guess we'll have to see what they come up with. But she mm. probably, you know, she she'll know more about this than I do. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, just, just, but just the combination of her win anyway mm, and yeah. Simon's election is great news for higher education, and a sign that sanity is returning. Um, there was quite a funny interview with the Staff Pride Network. They're always ghastly. These Pride Networks aren't they? And they attract mm-hmm. total drongos, uh, many of whom are not very good looking, in my view. I'm sorry to be superficial, <laughs> but. The one that they interviewed on the Scottish News, I did think, Baladi, oh mate, you'd be, you'd be the bloke left on grinder at two in the morning, wouldn't you? (laughs) 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 He was talking about how sad. I'm really sad that Simon's been elected because Simon. Then he said something like, "Simon said nasty things." It's like, yeah, God, give us a quote then. Oh, that's right, you can't. Mm. And and he was there with his mandatory rainbow lanyard. Like, do they come out of the womb with rainbow bloody lanyards on their slot? (laughs) I've never worn a I've, I've never worn a rainbow lanyard in my no, life. And do you no. know what? I never bloody will. I just think they look ludicrous. And I have never, never been involved with an LGBT network. Never, because no. I don't want. I'm not a joiner anyway. Yeah. But um, I just there's something I just immediately rail against. It's like I'm not an LGBT plus person for yeah. a start. I'm a gay man. Secondly, mm. I'm here as in my former career, a lecturer, in my former, former career as a nurse, not as a gay man. So, yeah, exactly. um, you know, I'm heaven not interested. Heaven forbid you might just be a human, you know. Heaven forbid you might not be a stereotype. And these things, they always attract like committee people, Clive. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like people who yeah. really love sitting down and going to committee meetings and having, uh, you know awful receptions with warm white wine and which from plastic glasses and sort of sad looking sandwiches yeah that's the sort of person it attracts <laughs> yeah really and it's all really dismal uh so exactly. no uh, but yes they the, the the staff pride network no doubt were part of the collective meltdown just if yeah, you were. if you uh if you had taken a few minutes to enter a valid nomination then you might not have ended up with Simon Fanshawe, but you didn't. And part of me thinks that they probably know that their alternative nomination might not be that popular. So mm, there's a lesson learned there. Good news, good news. Yeah. Now, apart from Simon Fanshawe becoming rector of Edinburgh University, there's been other good news this week as well. Mm. And uh, one of the best pieces of news 
was the uh, organisation for Women Scotland yes. uh, being granted permission to appeal uh, their judicial review decision to the UK Supreme Court. If you wow. remember, yes, if you remember, they were they went to court over the definition of the word woman, wasn't it? That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. And. Uh, the Haldane judgment, which we've referenced before on the podcast, was to say that anyone who had a gender recognition certificate counted as a woman for all purposes in UK law. Because yeah. that's that's how the law is is uh, that's how the law is written. Well, anyway, four women Scotland weren't having this, and so they sought permission to appeal to the UK Supreme Court against the Scottish Court's decision. They were knocked back in the uh, outer court of sessions and the inner court of sessions. The inner court of sessions relying on the Haldane judgment and basically saying there was no uh, case to appeal, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, but now they're going to the Supreme Court. Now, as I understand it, Dennis, this is unpre well, not unprecedented, but this is a big deal. It's massive, Clive. It's so rare. I can't tell you how many really good criminal cases I've have and or I've had uh, or that I know of, where we've thought it's quite important that the Supreme Court has refused to hear our case. It is really, really hard to get in the Supreme Court because one, you have to have an arguable point of law, which you know, for women, Scotland always did in this case. Um, but then two, you have to show that your point of law is of general public importance. And you can get permission either from the inner house of the Court of Session up in Scotland, which is their version of the Court of Appeal down here. So it's that level. Or you can get permission for the Supreme Court. Normally what happens is people get permission for the Supreme Court. It is very, very rare to get it from the Court of Appeal equivalent. I am so either our court of appeal or the inner house of the court of session, but they've got it. They got it from the inner house yesterday, um, and it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, very surprising to to see that. I know a lot of Scottish lawyers were were a bit a bit shocked. I suppose is the right word because it's so rare. Mm, mm. Um, but it does show you that the judges uh, recognise. Look, this is a really, really, really serious, important point of law here because. The Haldane judgment says that sex in law, or legal sex as we sometimes call it, means sex is modified by a GRC. And that sounds simple and straightforward, but it has massive, massive implications. Because if, if that is correct, if you have a GRC that ports you over into the other sex category, yeah. and... You know, uh, one of the areas where that has an effect, for example, is associations. If you're an association with more than 25 members, you are not able in law to discriminate on the basis of sex, right? Yeah. So if I set yeah. up a gay men's organisation with the law as it currently is, and we had more than 25 members, I would not be able to exclude legally a trans man, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, what, that's one example of it. Ob obviously, there are huge implications for, I mean, this was an appeal based on an act of the Scottish Parliament, which was about so-called public boards, and it was about sex representation on public boards, which, you know, so, I don't know, directors of companies, trustees of of the charities, that sort of thing. And so, that, you know, quite big for society. Mm. Um, and it, the Haldane judgment, you, you could have 10 men who said, uh, who had GRCs, 
and and that would count as 10 women so it's this is big mm. this is big and as you know the background to this is also a lot of political stuff going on where people have said look we need to amend the equality act so that's that's probably not going to happen now i think what the government are going to have to do is wait and see what the supreme court says the law is before they amend the law that's the most likely thing that's going to happen but either way that's a good thing because if if we lose in the supreme court i should say wait if the four women scotland lose in the supreme court i think the government then really has to act and and say actually sex does mean sex in law because if it doesn't the implications are just enormous yeah Um, but hopefully four women scotland win um Sorry, yes. I'm rambling a little bit because I'm quite excited, and I also I do, I know I know the, the the women who run for me in Scotland, and they're just brilliant, and they're so hardworking, um, and I'm so pleased for them. Yes, and it is a big deal because you know, uh, well, if you ask me, the Haldane judgment also set a boundary. It said you men do not count as women unless they have a GRC. So if you wanted to have a board that was comprised all of trans women, they would all have to have a GRC before they counted as women, which is going to be difficult to um, set up because we know that only a minority of uh, trans people have a GRC. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So it's a really, really big opportunity here. It's um, obviously for Women in Scotland have a crowdfunder up, which we should probably link to if we can. Um, and and I think J.K. Rowling gave them, or Rowling, is it? J.K. Rowling gave them um, Rowling. 70 grand yesterday. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> their goal is 200,000. So, well, now their goal is 130,000. They've already got a lot of um, of money being pledged to them, but uh, J.K. Rowling has has made it much easier for them by, you know, as she often does, opening her purse and slinging some money at them, which is brilliant. Did you see God that? God bless her. She's yeah. Did you see that bloke who clowned himself on Twitter, going, "Hmm, I wonder what a refugee char- charity could do with." Uh, Seventy thousand pounds, and then there was a context note added to it, community note added to it, saying, "Well, she has actually given hundreds of thousands of pounds to refugee charities." Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, she set one up, Clive. She set mm-hmm. one up called Lumos for Ukrainian kids. For God's sake! Yeah, mm-hmm. I had a I had a back and forth with this joker because I said to him, "Well, how many charities have you set up, mate?" And he and he was like, "Well, I'm not a millionaire." It's like, yeah, well. You don't have to be a millionaire to set up a charity. If you yeah, build exactly. it, they will come. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> you can bloke, stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Oh, dear. Well, anyway, this is brilliant news for, for Women Scotland, um, but it's also got a wider impact in that it means that if For Women Scotland uh, win, then it will be mm. clear that the definition of man and woman is biological sex if they lose then as you say dennis the government are kind of forced to act i think i think so but there's there's every chance that that will be a labor government so i think i mean i saw a very good scottish we don't call them barristers in scotland do they it's scottish advocate saying this morning this this 
decision will now affect the shape of both parties' manifestos because both parties are going to need a position on this in the election because this is now an election issue. So I will be extremely interested in where the Labour Party end up on this mm. one, given that they seem most likely to form the next government. The the other thing to watch for is the interveners, because when a case goes to the Supreme Court, people are allowed to apply to intervene. Normally, you just submit some written submissions. Um, I've been toying with the idea. I wonder, I'm wondering if there's anything useful Gay Men's Network can say uh, about this. Um, I know Sex Matters intervened in the inner house of the Court of Session, but I, th- I would expect lots of interveners in this one, and not just mm. the organisations in our debate. I mean, certainly Stonewall will have a go, won't they? Um, I think they, I think they intervened in the inner house as well. Um, but don't be surprised if Kemi Badnock intervenes as the Secretary of State for Equality, and don't be surprised if Baroness Faulkner and the Equality and Human Rights Commission I- intervene as well. This this could be big. This could, this could be quite a big case. And I would have thought that both of those parties will probably have barristers in the courtroom, whereas the other interveners, certainly pressure groups, normally the court says, look, you don't need a barrister. Just just write down what you think. Um, do a written submission. Keep it to like 10 pages or something. And that's, norm- that's normally what you do. Mm. So I think that that's going to be the shape of it. I'll be very interested to see... I I don't know how the Supreme Court's doing in terms of um, backlog and so on, because we do have that problem post-lockdowns in all courts. Um, I'll be interested to see how quickly the the Supreme Court gets this on. But yeah, massive case. Best of luck for Mm -hmm. Women Scotland. Well done. Please contribute to their crowdfunder. Please share their crowdfunder. Um, if you can, you know, just if every if everyone gives them a couple of quid, we'll get we'll get this done and dusted. So um, yeah. I know everyone has contribution fatigue, but this is the most important gender critical case there is. Right, this is going to define in law what man and woman means. That's how important. I can't think of it. You know, and that is that's the bloody debate that we've been stuck in for what feels like decades well yes yes the debate i mean i think uh, i don't want to tell you your business dennis but i think there is a case for gay men's network putting in a a submission because uh, what would they call it a submission an intervention whatever um yeah submission yeah because uh not only does this affect the definition of women this affects the definition of men as well and yeah. it affects gay men's rights to free association as well as women's. So, yeah. uh, yes, I think that it would be um, the business of Gay Men's Network to um, put in a submission. Because mm. I'm sure that Stonewall will have their fingers all over it. And probably, yeah. you know, the LGBT Foundation and oh, uh, oh, gendered intelligence, mermaids, yeah. trans in the city. You know, there seems to be one charity for every three trans people in the world. So... <laughs> It's like the background to the thriller video, isn't it? All these lot, these ghouls and their endless, their endless stupid rainbow organisations. Yeah, yeah, I'm wondering. I'm wondering. I mean, I'm just toying with the idea at the moment. To be honest with you, I haven't had a proper chance to discuss it with the GMN lads. Um, but I'm wondering if there's if there's a sort of joint 
submission to be had here, particularly so far as homosexuals and bisexuals are concerned, because I do think that is a unique angle that the you know the sensible gay groups in this can can look at. Anyway, we'll we'll have a look, we'll have a think about the case, um, and in the meantime, as I say, if everyone can contribute, publicise, support the wonderful women at Four Women Scotland, that would be fantastic. It would be. And I'm looking at the link you put in a thread um, about the biographies of the justices on the Supreme Court. Um, Do you know any of these people? Have you come across them? uh, Yeah, I have. I have. Um, They are they are fantastic, obviously, as as you would expect. Um, Mm -hmm. Ingrid Simler was the last one who was appointed. Sorry, Lady Simler. Um, now, um, this Scottish bar- uh, sorry Scottish advocate whose thread I read this morning, he he reminded me, which I'd forgotten, that by convention, that at least two of the Scottish judges will sit on on this. Mm. Um, so I think that's Lord Reed and uh, I can't remember who the other Scottish judge is, but that 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 seems likely. Um, but mm. you know, you know, you don't get to be in the Supreme Court if you're a numpty. These aren't seriously impressive people. Mm. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll we'll just have to see what happens because this, you know, while this goes to an absolutely central policy question that we're all very concerned about, and we get angry about, and we lobby and do politics about, it's actually quite a dry point of law here because it because this point of law is about statutory construction and. Uh, if you wanted to be what what we would call a black letter lawyer, which is to say that you just look at the law and you don't look at policy and you don't look at the implications, um, if you're a black letter lawyer, <clears throat> you could just say, well, this is a straightforward point, and the point is um, the Equality Act came after the Gender Recognition Act. Acts of Parliament are deemed to be drafted in the context that legislators know the other legislation, and... And then the decision either goes one of two ways at that point. You, you either say, well, if they'd wanted to limit the GRA, they would have done, and they didn't, and that's what Lady Haldane said. Mm-hmm. Or I think you could argue it the other way and say, well, it doesn't mention the GRA, so we shouldn't give the GRA a meaning within this act that this act does not say it should have. So, mm. you know, that's that's the black letter law approach. And as I say, it could go one or other way. But... You know, even if it goes the other way, that 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 brings it into focus politically. Yes, it does. It does, and uh, of course, it has impacts on the um, operation of the GRA as well. I think that this might actually be the last sort of uh, dagger in the heart of self ID, because yeah. if you can ID- self ID yourself as a woman, and it has no real impact on anything. <laughs> then it's just a piece of paper from the government saying, well done, you are now a woman. But uh, it doesn't entitle you to anything that you don't have under the protected characteristic of uh, of uh, gender reassignment. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, big news. Big news. We'll all be yeah. sitting on tenterhooks waiting for the Supreme Court to come up with their decision. And let's hope it doesn't go the way of Mermaids versus LGB, which took six months or or however (laughs) long it was, 84 years for the decision to be published. (laughs) Like the lady in Titanic, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, the Supreme Court is much quicker, I can promise you that. Well, there's nine... How many of them are there? Nine? Seven? Nine? Something like that. Something like that. Seven, eight, nine, something like that. 
Yeah. And I'm sure they're more than adequately supported by administration as well to type things up for them and uh, all that sort of jizz jazz. Yep. Well, marvellous. And we've got we some... Should, we should have a day out when it happens, actually, Clive. We should go down to the Supreme Court. I know, I know all the good um, pubs and restaurants around there, so, yeah, we should mm. do that. Will we meet uh, Horace Rumpole? Well, yeah, well, you know, why do you, why do you want to meet Horace when you can meet me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're kind of the same thing, really, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, and there's been um, some other positive developments, I should mention, in Denmark. Oh, yeah. Yes, where the... Um, let me make sure I get this right. So hold on a minute. Let me load up my Twitter feed. So, the uh, Danish Rainbow Council tweeted out yesterday, I Mm. think it was, uh, to say that uh, new clear messages from the Minister for Equality, there are two sexes and legal sex change for children, has not been finally decided. So, the take-home messages from this are that the uh, Equalities Minister over there in Denmark has said... Sorry. That's all right. There are only two genders. You cannot change your biological sex. Trans men are not biological men. Trans women are not biological women. The term sex sex assigned at birth is strange language. This is an English translation of the Danish. Uh, Gender is determined at birth, the minister stated, and then explained why the term is still used in the health sector. A woman is an adult female person. So. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fantastic. So, I mean, a lot of the um, a lot of the Scandinavian countries have pushed back on uh, prescribing puberty blockers. I think uh, Norway, Sweden, Finland, possibly now Denmark, uh, leaving Iceland to be the sort of outlier amongst the, uh, the the Viking nations, if you like. That's right. Which that's uh, right. Where where our friend Elder is doing fantastic work. Mm-hmm. He is, he is. And he, may, he recently got published in uh, the national, uh, a national Icelandic newspaper, which uh, mm-hmm. is big news. So things are moving. Things are moving. The consensus is breaking down. And that's got to be a good thing. Nonetheless, yeah. nonetheless, there are still battles to be fought. And one of those is about conversion therapy bans. And the recent, um, the most recent attempt to introduce a conversion therapy ban is the private members bill from a friend of the podcast, Lloyd Russell Moyle. (laughs) Devoted listener to our podcast, yes. This is, um, Lloyd's bill is going to be debated in the House of Commons on the 1st of March, which isn't brilliant because it's a Friday. Uh, So MPs normally go back to their constituencies for surgeries. Please, if you are listening to this and you are interested in this, write to your MP and ask them to attend this debate. Um, It is important that we have something that we hope might match the quality of the House of Lords' fantastic debate on this um, because while there are you know the, the Commons private members bill is a very different beast to the one Baroness Burt introduced in the Lords it, it does try to take account of some of the objections but there are still 
pronounced issues with it because I mean I think there's pronounced issues with this legislation full stop to be honest which whichever way you, mm. you do it so um yeah and I think we were, we were going to have a quick look at the bill will we Clive so yes on, yes yeah. I, I, I'm now as I understand it uh Lloyd Lloydy has um our friend has listened to some gender critical voices yeah, that's right. And he's uh, he's, yeah. a, he's he's done four different drafts of his bill. Yeah, we're on version four at the moment. I would I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if we get version five soon as well, because I know there's been further meetings this week about some of the issues with this. Right. Uh, the the law seeks to ban conversion therapy or conversion practices that are target sexual orientation and because it must always be appended to it, gender identity. Um, What's your view of this, Dennis? I think this act is... I think there are real problems with this act. So if we... If we start with conversion practices in, in section one, and perhaps we'll do a link to the draft... For anyone listening to this who wants to follow along, so section one tell subsection one tells us that basically you commit a criminal offence if you commit a conversion practice. Now, w- w- that begs the question: What is a conversion practice? Right. In order to find that out, we have to go to section four, which is the interpretation section. A pause at that point. That's quite unusual in a criminal statute to be sent all over the place um, in the first place. And then we get this definition uh, of a conversion practice. It says a conversion practice means a course of conduct. Right. In criminal law, that means two or more occasions. Right. But then it says or activity. So that means one occasion. So you can see already there's issues here. The predetermined purpose and intent of which... Right. Criminal law has a definition of intent. It has no definition of purpose. This act requires that you have both purpose and intent. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. Purpose is not then defined. Of which is to change someone's sexual orientation. So let me put a comma there. Okay, so we can sort of see what he's getting at, at that point. Or to change a person from being transgender... Pause at that point. Being transgender is defined in in a different act as coming under the protected characteristic, mm-hmm. including to suppress asexual orientations. Right. So now it's getting a bit complex, isn't it? Because it's telling us that if you change someone from being transgender in such a way that you suppress their sexual orientation, that that is a conversion practice. Not quite sure what that means because people do tend to retain their sexual orientation don't they when we talk about transing the gay away we talk about heterosexualizing kids Mm. so don't really get that bit of the bill Um, i think i think in there in the draft i'm looking at it says change to or from or or from transgender identity so that means anything which i i'm assuming what he means by that anything that foists a transgender identity on someone careful Careful, transgender identity is in the next line. This line says being transgender, right? Right. Okay, it says to or from being transgender. Being Sorry, this is a bit legal, this, but being transgender in law means coming under the protected characteristic. So that's proposing has undergone, is undergoing, um, you know, gender reassignment. It's It's narrow, right? Right. So we get including to suppress sexual orientation, but then or 
transgender identity. Right, transgender identity is a problem. It is a big, big problem because that basically means gender identity. Okay, right. And it says so that the orientation or identity no longer exists in part or in full. Now, if I've lost you by this stage, I completely understand. But let me try to make this as simple as I can. This bill has therefore brought in the concept of transgender identity, right? And that leaves us with the question, what does that mean? Well, if we look further down in section section four, it says, it tells us, transgender has the same meaning as the Sentencing Act of 2020, and transgender identity, so two different terms there, has the same meaning as in the Sentencing Act. Now, if we then go to the Sentencing Act... Section 66, we're going to discover a problem. And I'm just going to drop a link to the Sentencing Act in our chat, Clive, so you can have a look. Because if you click on that link, you will see that that section of the Sentencing Act deals with hostility. So that's where crime has a hate aggravator. And in fact, we encountered this when we did our podcast about the murder of Brianna Jai. Because you can see that in Section 66, subsection 1... E, transgender identity, hostility to transgender identity, is mentioned, right? Now scroll to the bottom of the page, right? The bottom of the page, subsection 6, says in this section, and then it gives a number of definitions. So the first one is racial group, then religious group, then membership, then disability. Then it says this, E, it says references to being transgender, include references to being transsexual or undergoing, proposing to go, or having undergone a process, part of process. It reproduces the protected characteristic. You will have noticed what it does not do is define the term transgender identity. Do you see? Have I lost you? <laughs> no, it's you. okay. I, I was trying to flick between several windows. Um, yes, it doesn't mention transgender identity. So this is a new concept that's being yep. introduced. Yeah, and it is not defined by this bill. That is a problem, right? Mm, because yeah. you cannot give a piece of legislation to a criminal court and say, you guys just work it out for yourselves. Because if you do that, it's going to contravene a defendant's Article 6 right to know what the hell they are charged with and what they are accused of. Okay? Mm -hmm. So that is a significant issue with this bill. It is a significant issue, generally speaking, to attempt to define this concept because it is a contested concept. And where the Scottish government have tried it and talked about a person's internal sense of their own gender and all this nonsense that we're used to, you end up with something that's quite difficult in criminal courts because it becomes a self-reported phenomenon. Mm. And there is no satisfactory answer to the legal objection, which I would take defending, which is, what are you going to do if my client says, I don't believe transgender identity exists? Are you going to say, you have to believe in it because this Act of Parliament says you do? Because mm. if you're doing that, you've just turned into a religious court because you are telling my client they have to believe in something that they don't believe in. So that is an enormous, enormous issue with this draft, I am afraid. And I appreciate that there have been efforts to reflect our concerns, but that remains an issue. But even, <clears throat> let's go back one stage and say, well, all right, what if you just had the protected characteristic definition of being transgender? Well, I think there's a problem with that as well. And the problem with that is this. 
that protected characteristic intended for adults, because it's really, you know, the Equality Act is really about regulating sort of associations, workplaces, employment rights, you know, all those kind of things that adults do. Yeah. Um, it's it not really intended for kids, the Equality Act. It can affect kids, but it, it, it principally it's directed towards adults. Now, that protected characteristic involves the very problematic phrase, proposes to. Mm. And the problem with that is this. Lots of kids turn up to gender clinics and to other places proposing this stuff. Are you going to tell me that if someone proposes, you know, what they've read on the internet, Helen Webberly saying mm. someone mermaids or they've got their breast binder on and they propose to keep wearing it, are you telling me that if you say to them, I'd rather you didn't wear that because it's hurting you, that that is conversion? Because it seems to me they would come under the protected characteristic because they propose to modify um, a sex trait. They propose to, to you know, to undergo mm. gender reassignment in that in in that form. You can see the problems, can't you? Yeah, that protected and, characteristic's quite wide. And doesn't wouldn't this interact with both the Equality Act and the Children's Act? Yeah, absolutely. And we'll, we'll come to that in a moment. So, so that's the core definitional and Article Six problem. But we then get to Lloyd's attempt to try to deal with some of the problems that we've identified, which is Section 1, Subsection 2, which begins with the words, no offences committed under this section. And if we just call this the carve-outs, right, what he's trying to do here is deal with all the problems that have been raised with the Scottish legislation and that were raised in the Lords. So let's go through them. The first one says, a person expresses a religion or other belief sounds fine that's freedom of belief but then it says provided it's not directed to an individual as part of a conversion practice well conversion practice is defined quite widely isn't mm. it yeah and it includes i think it includes the word suppress doesn't it yeah it does suppress a sexual orientation well if i'm in if i'm in church right and a priest says we this church that it doesn't matter really does it none of the main religions are particularly friendly to us are they <laughs> If, no, if your local no. priest, rabbi, or imam says, um, I would sooner that you didn't practice homosexuality and that you should be celibate, I think that's the Church of England line on it. That, that's suppression, isn't it? That's suppress, suppressing sexual orientation. So mm. it's a carve-out, but it's not a carve-out, and it's begun to regulate what can be said in churches. And this is not, this is not a hyperbolic fear because we know that the australian commission that enforces the conversion practices bill in victoria regulates public prayer it's, it's, it's yes. remarkably baroness foster mentioned this in the lords what it does is it says i think is it, there was a crazy example clyde something like you can't say we are all sinners or something you have to have like happy uplifting prayer um anyways yes, you're all perfect just the way you are well no That's right. at, the yeah. whole, at the core of christian belief is the idea that nobody's perfect just yeah, particularly the way ca they Catholicism, are. mate, I tell you, which is what I grew up with. <laughs> <laughs> we are all sinners and we all yeah, have to all repent. Awful. And yeah. we're all going to be saved by the blood of Jesus. And if that's, that's right. the case, but we're perfect all in the same way, why do we need Jesus? Well, quite, quite. So, yeah, that's the, that's the first carve-out. Um, there's then quite a weird carve out that says um, a person expressed to another person their disapproval of or acceptance of or that person's sexual orientation or transgender identity or lack thereof so expressing disapproval is 
it, I, I mean, it's just an odd one that. So I can, I can, mm. it, uh, not quite sure how that works. And then, and then we've got the one that I wanted your comment on, Clive, which is the health practitioner one. So this is Lloyd's attempt to deal with us saying you're going to trans away the gate gender clinics. What did you think of carve out C? Well, it only covers uh, health practitioners as defined in the conversion therapy bill. It's uh, a convert. A health practitioner is. Let me scroll through. Um, a person who's a member of a body regulated by a regulator, overseen or accredited by the professional standards body for health and social care. So that would be nurses, doctors, uh, occupational therapists, some psychologists, some um, physiotherapists, that kind of thing. But um, when it comes to things like counselling and psychotherapy, they aren't necessarily regulated in the same way. I've heard this. And the other thing that occurs to me is that it would... Um, you'd have a situation where, you know, you've got things like Childline, or I suppose, mm. I mean, you could even say, couldn't you, the mermaid chat boards? Oh, absolutely. Thinking, thinking about it both ways, those people wouldn't be covered by this, would they? No, they wouldn't be. Um, Counselling is a completely unregulated profession, uh, right. so anyone can set themselves up as a counsellor. There's, yeah. no, there's no set qualifications you have to have, there's no set body that you have to register with there are voluntary bodies so for instance the british association of uh, cognitive and uh, psychotherapists so cbt practitioners generally are, are signed up to them but um, yeah. it's not a prerequisite of presenting yourself as a therapist or a counselor so yeah. there could be a whole bunch of people who are not covered by this conversion yeah. Uh, practices definition of a healthcare practitioner which means yeah. that if you are providing private psychotherapy yeah and you are going along a gender affirmative route there's a possibility if you're not with one of these regulatory bodies that you're not going to be covered by this which yeah so you get a pa patchwork then don't you with this carve out some things some things are regulated some things are not and it occurs to me, you know, the kind of, I, I won't call them therapeutic, but, you know, the sort of pastoral discussions that, for example, a teacher might want to have if someone's having a hard time at home, you know, mm. that sort of thing. That's not covered by this. Either. No, and, and neither is the kind of uh, therapeutic input that uh, a pastor in church might provide. So yeah, that's, that's right. I mean, if you think about, I don't know, say someone from... Um, a working class community and we know yeah. or we suspect that they don't access psychotherapy as readily as the middle classes the people that they might turn to might be teachers or their GP um, their GP would be covered by this but the teacher wouldn't necessarily be covered by this because they're not a healthcare practitioner and as we know teachers have been known to agree to uh, affirm someone's gender in schools, changing yeah. their name, changing their pronouns, allowing them to present as the opposite sex while they're in school. It's a bit of a mm. mess because if he's going to try and if he's going to try and outlaw 
um, uh, converting someone to being transgender, that kind of social transition, as we know from the CAS review, is not a neutral intervention. That's correct. I mean, my only question with our observations is, has he tried to cover it in, sub in sorry, subsection 2, so the carve-outs, but then letter E for Egypt, where he says that you don't commit an offence if you're a person other than, other than a conversion practice, though, that's the problem, facilitating or supporting a person who is exploring or questioning their sexual orientation or transgender identity or seeking to develop coping skills in relation to sexual orientation or transgender identity. I mean, these are very odd terms to see in criminal mm. statutes. Mm. The, the tr I think he's tried to get teachers and therapists in, in subsection E there, but that his problem is that he's put, as was the case with the religion example, other than part of a conversion practice. Now, if a conversion practice involves mm. suppressing um, a transgender identity, for example... Um, if I say to the autistic girl, I think you are, t are autistic, you are not trans, and I think that breast binder is hurting you, uh, I'm still caught by that definition of suppressing potentially a transgender identity, mm. I think, but I can't say that with confidence because transgender identity is not defined in, in, in this bill. So I think, you know... What, I, you know, what, what can I say? I think I think there's been some attempts at carve-outs here, but I'm, I'm not finding them convincing. Can can I ask you about the one at subsection D, Clive, which is a carve-out that says a person is assisting another person who's undergoing a regulated course of treatment. So my question is, what is a regulated course of treatment in medicine then? Well, presumably what he means is if you are supporting someone who is being... Uh, treated by a doctor or a regular uh, uh, somebody who is um, a professional being regulated by a regulatory body so a psychologist for instance who works in the NHS or um, a nurse a specialist nurse therapist who works in the NHS the kind of people who um, maybe worked in JIDS in the past right. might be covered okay. by this um, so it's about you supporting someone who's going through a regulated course of therapy or treatment. This, I think, and I'm sort of reading the chicken entrails here, is to cover people who are providing CAS-compliant uh, gender care to uh, children right. and young people. So yeah. it, in one way, it's not a bad carve out because it says, you know, if someone's undergoing a regulated course of treatment and you're supporting them, you and that person can't be uh, caught within this conversion therapy, uh, conversion practices ban. I right. think that's what he means. I, okay. I, I think the whole the whole bill, though, kind of um, preempts things like the CAS review, which is going to well, that's right. issue its recommendations. So we don't know what a regulated course of treatment will look like in the future. And it's kind of trying yeah. to head that off at the pass. We also know that it's not really taking into account, or it doesn't seem to take into account, to my mind, the guidance that's already been produced by the department 
uh, for yeah. women inequalities about um, supporting transgender students at school. Yeah, that's it, right. It, it, it doesn't seem to take that into account at all, does it? No, no. Um, and I and the thing is, though, is that this law may well exist, right? But yeah. as Transgender Trend mentioned in their letter to Lloyd Russell Moyle, children, parents, they're not going to be actually reading the act if it becomes an act. Exactly. They're going to be relying on the fact that conversion therapy has been banned. Yeah. And their definition, their interpretation of what that means could bring a lot of clinicians, a lot of parents into the sort of umbrella term of people providing conversion therapy practices or conversion practices, I should say. Yeah. So it's case, that word suppress. Mm, yeah, cases that's could, the problem. Cases could be launched against GPs, uh, NHS staff, therapists and what have you for conversion therapy or conversion. Pra I keep saying conversion therapy. We're supposed to say conversion practices because it's not therapy, blah, blah. Yeah. Cases could still be brought against those individuals for engaging in conversion practices. And you can be pretty sure that a lot of the organisations which currently support gender-affirming care will be sure to muddy the waters about this. And that is oh, my totally. concern yeah. with that. That is my concern totally. with it's, that. It's the chilling effect point, really, isn't it, that you're making? Um, just two more points, if I may. Let's come to the final carve-out, which is at subsection F for Freddy. Here, what Lloyd is trying to do, it reads, a person who's ex exercising parental responsibility for a child, and then it names the relevant children acts in the different jurisdictions. So Lloyd is trying to avoid here the, the problem with the Scottish legislation where we said, you know, there's cases in Victoria or Australia about this, you know, if a parent says no to puberty blockers, they end up getting prosecuted. Um, so that's what he's trying to do. But legally, the problem is that he's confined it to people with parental responsibility. Now, mm. not everyone has PR, say parental responsibility, right? Where if you're not married at the time the child is born, right, the mum the mum gets PR, uh, but the dad doesn't automatically get it. In, right. in addition to which, you could be having... I don't know. Any you know, families come in all sorts of weird and wonderful shapes, don't mm, they? You mm, could be yeah. you you could be brought up by your grandparents. You could be brought up by an uncle and auntie, or even older siblings. Often, you know, we're, we're, particularly where there's big age gaps, older siblings end up doing a lot of care. Well, they they don't have parental responsibility. Grandparents mm, don't have parental mm. responsibility. Where where you're from a religious background, your godparents won't have PR. Um, and there's a massive problem with that, I'm afraid, because Article 8 of the Convention on Human Rights says that you have a right to a private and family life. You have a, you know, mm. you have a right to a, a human right to those sorts of discussions and those sorts of arrangements. So, I, again, I find that, that final carve-out unconvincing. Um, there's just one other area that is worth looking at 
and it's it's in a strange section. But if I take you to section three where it says penalties, the first thing to note is that you can't go to prison for this offence, by the way, on penalties. So mm-hmm. section section three, subsection one provides only if you are convicted that you can be fined. Now, because it doesn't go on to say, oh, and you can also be sent to prison, that makes this a non-imprisonable offence. I was a bit surprised by that because we're always hearing how awful conversion therapy is and how it's like torture and all of this stuff. Sorry about mm. this. Got the dog dogs going mad in the background. Um, Bertie, please. Try, I'm try, 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 trying to talk about statutes. I think Bertie's um, against this conversion therapy I think, bill. I'm, I'm, yeah, I think Bertie, Bertie is not impressed with the drafting of the penalties <laughs> section. So Bertie can't believe it's fine only. But then there's a bit which I do like, which is section three, subsection two, which says no proceedings are to be bought for this offence unless you have the consent of the director of public prosecutions. Now, that is good because what that means is it effectively locks out private prosecutions. Right. Because if you have to go and get the CPS to put their neck on the line, the DPP can. Sorry, a few points here. With some serious criminal offences, you have to get the DPP sign off, and and in order to prosecute them. Now, and for really serious offences like bribery, um, say state level bribery, you need the Attorney General to sign off on them. Now, you can, in the case of the Director of Public Prosecutions, you can either have the personal permission of of the Director of Prosecution, uh, sorry, Public Prosecution, him or herself. That's not the case here. Um, The way that this bill is written, and sorry, this is getting really legal, but the way this bill is written, the DPP can devolve that responsibility to the rank of Crown Prosecutor. So I would prefer it to be the DPP personally myself, but in any event, this effectively locks out the good law project from going and chasing as Hakim and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Because anyone who wanted to do that would have to run it by the CPS and the CPS would have to apply their own code to say whether they thought it was a viable prosecution or not. So that is a a safeguard, which I think is highly sensible in this sort of legislation because we know that the other side if you give them a weapon they will damn well use it Mm, um so that at least is is one good thing um and anyway that's the final point really the rest of the bill is just like statutory nonsense that you have to have in um but that's really the guts of the bill so the key problem is that transgender identity is not defined another key problem is that suppression is is part of conversion practice and suppression is quite a wide concept and finally that the carve outs as we have discussed in in detail despite good intentions i think um remain legally unconvincing because Mm. of the way that they are worded so i think that's where we are with this bill I was just noticing that there's it mentions the DPP in England and Wales and the DPP in Northern Ireland. There's no mention of Scotland there. Yeah, that's right. That's because Scotland's introducing its own bill and criminal justice is is devolved. Right. Down to um those people although scotland is mentioned as an appropriate national authority in section one subsection three so it might just be a drafting i mean i i don't think that the intention 
here is to cover Scotland because they're passing their own bill. Okay. But I don't know. All right. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, it runs into the problems that every other draft conversion therapy bill has has uh, come across. Um, yeah. And Transgender Trend have replied to this, and yeah. uh, they suggest that it's ditched altogether. <laughs> which I think is an honourable position, um, especially given some of the objections that they raise. It says in the letter, and I quote it at length, if you don't mind, you have said that you believe your bill yeah, yeah. has safeguards for this cohort of same-sex attracted young people. We think this is naive in the current social climate in which every organisation that purports to look after the interests of LGB people also have a foundational belief in the existence of trans kids stonewall for instance says research suggests that children as young as two recognize their trans identity uh, they go mm. on to say this flies in the face of all our knowledge of child development and their cognitive understanding to put it bluntly it's an ignorant lie but they go on to say this lie is repeated ad nauseum by all the major LGBT plus organisations. It's to be found in all the trans toolkits for schools. It's repeated by LGBT plus educational groups. The result is that a belief that has no basis in fact is now embedded in our schools and colleges, which is the idea that a child can have a gender or transgender identity in opposition to their actual biological sex. And they go on to say that... Um, Lloyd has said you, he considers that part of the purpose of your bill is to send a message. We'd like you to think about what the, this message is. Who will hear it and how will it be understood? If your bill becomes law, let's imagine how gender distressed children and vulnerable young people might interpret this message. They've been told repeatedly by LGBT plus organisations that they are hated are in actual danger from transphobes, who are defined as anyone who doesn't affirm their belief that they're the opposite sex. They've read online that as a group they are highly likely to commit suicide. They've been told that conversion therapy is an ever-present danger. Everything they read will repeat these same messages, which will be confirmed by its criminalisation. And they go on to make the point that these children are not going to read the specifics of the law itself. The only message that will land is that conversion therapy is banned. And it goes on to mention some of the things that we talked about uh, before, how children will see any attempt to kind of dissuade them from a trans identity or to get them to think about what they mean when they say they have a transgender identity or to spell out some of the consequences of them declaring this, that could be seen by children as being conversion practices. And that's yeah. where reality hits law. Yeah, that's or the thing, isn't it? I mean, we, we've done a deep dive into the statutory nuance, but Stephanie and, and Shelley are up, uh, who... who who wrote that rather magnificent letter that I think we should link to if we possibly can, Clive, because it does mm -hmm. bear reading. Um, they're absolutely right, aren't they? You, you know, you can have as much nifty, clever, clever black letter law as you like, but you have to look at the messaging of the organisations pushing this because those organisations actually have a track record of actively misrepresenting the law and we know mm. what they'll do. With this, so I think that's an extremely subtle and, and well-made point, if I may say so. I think that's absolutely right. But mm. just just to the, you know, they the, they obviously say as a, as an organisation, 
you know, organizations have to take official positions and their official position is you should withdraw that bill. And I entirely understand why they say that. And I agree with them. Um, but realistically, he is not going to. There will be this debate. And all, all I will say is that given that that is happening, as, as my, private, first most important point, private members' bills do not pass, right? They only pass if the government adopts them. The government mm. is in no mood to adopt this, uh, not after the Badenoch letter. Um, she is on top of the issues here. She will be, I would have thought she would be highly sympathetic to the transgender trend letter. Um, mm. So it's not it's not going to become law. But what it does represent in terms of the discourse, just as we saw in the House of Lords, is a very real and a very useful opportunity to move this debate on, particularly within the Labour Party. And that's mm. That's particularly useful given that um, we're staring down the barrel of a, a, a Labour government. I don't, I don't mean that to sound that bad. <laughs> that sounds really negative. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't. I don't I, this isn't. I, I don't mean that as a party political point, but I do. I am frustrated, as I think quite a lot of us are, with the ambiguity of the mm -hmm. and and the the shifting on the labor leadership position like i know what kimmy badenoch's position is on this i know what yeah. rishi sunak's position is on this i have no idea um whether this is ever going to catch keir starmer's attention or what percentage of women today he thinks have penises because that seems to keep changing <laughs> and you know i just i don't mean to be uncharitable but i would like some clarity on this because this is kind of important you know it's, it is well i prefer that we didn't castrate the next generation of gay boys and give all the les you know the budding lesbians double mastectomies and that's well of he's because decided he's decided this is all just a culture war so he has, isn't he? Uh, you yeah. know this is all just tory culture wars well, that's just yeah, a way just of saying, interested. why don't you shut up? This doesn't matter. Um, yeah. And it's like, we, we didn't we didn't launch this culture war. Thank you very much. <laughs> the culture, yeah, no, we really, we really didn't. <laughs> the culture war was launched by the other side, who tried to change everybody's understanding of objective reality. So that yeah. men, women can have penises, men can have vaginas, pregnant men is something that can exist now. God's um, sake. Yeah. Breastfeeding yeah. is now chest feeding and all that sort of jazz. It's, um, it's not us who launched this culture walk here. It was launched by the other side. And now here you are. You have to come down on yeah. one side or the other. And then we have, you know, non-entities like Annalisa Dodds wittering on about a trans-exclusive conversion therapy ban. Well, is any inclusive. of this... Is, uh, trans-inclusive, yeah. sorry. Is any of this going yeah. to land? Because it seems that you've just ignored the whole debate and just continue going on about, yes, we're going to give you everybody. The conversion therapy ban, they... They um, they want That's and yeah. a bucket of diamonds and the moon on a stick and there you go <laughs> everything's going to be well, lovely. Well, look, we've you know we do what we can, right? And we've got a massive opportunity here to move debate in the Labour Party. So let's let's grab that um, with, with you know with both hands. Um, you know we need to be writing to our MPs, inviting them to attend this debate i would urge everyone to read transgender trends um letter about this 
Lloyd's final bill, I think his deadline, I think, I think the deadline that he sort of set himself is the 22nd of this month. That's when we'll get the final mm-hmm. bill. And it, it does keep changing. I wouldn't be surprised if this podcast is out of date pretty soon. Yeah. Um, once that date passes, Gay Men's Network, oh, I would have thought Sex Matters, and, you know, all the various, like, Conservatives for Women and Labour Women's Declaration, LGB Alliance, obviously, um, you know, all, the, all, all those, those people, sorry, pug going again, um, we'll, we'll publish responses, use those, write to MPs, publicise those, let's, let's get this debate moving and let's, you know, let's use this opportunity as best we absolutely can to, to actually, you know, I don't know, maybe protect a few gay kids from unnecessary surgery, that sort of thing, yeah? Mm, yeah, it's just a small culture war, Dennis, after all. Yeah. Nothing to do with the future of gay and autistic children. No, yeah. No, yeah. No. Why am I getting so upset about it? Yeah. yeah. Why, why, why are you like, so obsessed with trans people, Dennis? Why are oh, you so just obsessed bigotry with children? Clive. Yeah, just pure bigotry. The, my, my bigoted belief that globally um, it, it's a gay right to grow up free from chemical castration and puberty blockers and you know mm. surgery that my my unreasonable belief that kids <laughs> kids shouldn't be mutilated <laughs> yeah it's just it's just hatred there was a, it's just there, a culture was, war. there was a debate in uh, the state of georgia that's not the yeah. uh, 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 not the Eurasian state of Georgia, I'm talking about the American state of Georgia, where someone called yeah. Jeff, Jeff Cleghorn, who is kind of a bit of a gay rights hero because he campaigned, oh, he's brilliant. Yeah, campaigned against the Don't Ask, Don't Tell bill that the Clinton administration brought in and uh, raised the subject of LGB servicemen and women and all that sort of stuff. He was described in a magazine called Queerty, so I think you can know where this is going, as a self-hating gay man who was standing up... What? Yes, he was supporting uh, the Georgia statute that seeks to outlaw, um, you know, uh, mention of gender identity and that sort of thing in certain areas of education. I think it's primary education. Um, I'm not entirely 100% au fait with that, but he was described as a self-hating gay man. This yeah. is... Uh, this is what we are, Dennis. We're just self-hating gay men, despite the <laughs> well fact... known for it. <laughs> despite the fact that, to my mind, the self-hating gay men are represented by those who uh, want to become, in inverted commas, women, and those gay men who cheer them on and allow them yeah. to be pumped full of puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones and have mutilating surgery. Maybe that's a self-hating yeah. gay man. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? The less said about that lot, the better. Frankly, mm-hmm. when all this is, when all this is over, I'll have a few schools to settle with those chaps. But for the time being, yeah. let's just def- let's just defeat them on the field of battle. And I I wish they get their attack lines right because some days we're self-hating gay men, but then the very next day we're narcissists. And mm-hmm. I just find that. It, an inconsistent insult. So just just pick one. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know what with the blob on on Twitter and now and this larger blob, one of them's going to get consumed by the other at some point, and maybe maybe Great. those Great. of us who've managed to elude, uh, evade both of them will be able to actually uh, live our lives blob free. <laughs> Please God. Please, Please God. God. 
And on that note, I think that we on are that done. Bombshell. On that bomb, that blob shell. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're done for the day, Mr. Dennis. So I think we are. Yes. Thank you to all our listeners, to all our subscribers. Thank you particularly to my paid subscribers who help to make this podcast happen. Keep sharing, keep subscribing, and uh, you don't need to hold the line. Just keep the faith. That's what I think. Keep the faith that this is going our way. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Out there, out there in the real world, you know, we've got four women in Scotland at the Supreme Court. We've got Simon at um, Edinburgh University. We've got debate moving constructively in the Labour Party. It's mm -hmm. all still to play for. Mm -hmm. um, you know, focus, focus that stuff, and you know, let's let's go and win this in the real world. Yay! Okay, Mr. Hooray. Dennis, we are done. So have a lovely weekend, whatever you end up doing, and um, I will. Yes, and uh, the rest of you all have a lovely weekend, and we will see you next week. Cheerio. See you then. Bye. 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 Bye.